Hello and welcome to another episode of The Thriving Metabolism, where we discuss everything that impacts your hormones and metabolism so that you can take control, repair the damage and lose weight consistently without making yourself miserable in the process. Most weight loss strategies and diets actually do harm to your metabolism, resulting in further weight gain down the road. And it can be a particular challenge for women over 40 due to hormonal and metabolic changes. So it's my mission to empower you so that you and your metabolism thrives and you never have to go through diet misery again. I'm Louise Digby, registered nutritional therapist, weight loss expert, and founder of the Nourish Method to Lasting Fat Loss. So I've got a question for you today. Is stress blocking your weight loss? I'm here today to talk to you about something that is the bane of my life because it's the bane of my clients' lives and therefore mine. And this is a really important conversation because one of the biggest blockers to shifting the fats, particularly the belly fats, which is the bit that most of us are particularly bothered about, one of the biggest blockers to shifting that is elevated cortisol. So cortisol is one of your stress hormones. And we have several, and cortisol is one that we talk about a lot because cortisol is the one that can become chronically elevated, which means that you spend too much time with cortisol being elevated. And there are times during the day when cortisol should be elevated, and there are times when it should be lower, but it needs to be within a certain range. And we want it we don't want it staying elevated or staying really low either. Those fluctuations are what get us through the day. You know, cortisol elevates in the morning and wakes us up. And when it comes down in the evening, it helps us to unwind and to prepare to go to sleep. And so when there's any issues in that pattern, then we can start having issues with our energy, with our sleep, with anxiety. And in some cases, um, in many, we can get stubborn weight as well, particularly around the middle, even if it's quite a subtle elevation in cortisol. So it might be a subtle elevation that doesn't necessarily impact your energy or your sleep, but perhaps there could be enough of an elevation that it causes an increase in blood sugars. And it may just be very marginal and that may well keep you in fat storage mode rather than fat burning mode. You know, a lot of people's initial response to talking about cortisol is, well, I don't think I'm stressed. So I don't think this really applies to me. There must be something else that's causing my belly fat. And of course, that is very possible. However, the women that we work with in the Nourish Method, they really fall into the age range of 35 to 55. And we usually work with that specific age range because that is the time when your hormones are starting to change. So from about the age of 35, your sex hormones are starting to decline gradually and they can be up and down and all over the place. But overall, they're starting to decline as you approach menopause, which is usually around the age of 51. But it can be much earlier. It can be much later. And when you're going through that transition, the transition that's actually happening in your body is your ovaries, which 
produce your sex hormones, they're starting to wind down and they're starting to basically shut down as they run out of eggs. And when that happens, your stress glands, which are your adrenals, they start taking over the production of some of these sex hormones. So what this means is that really the closer you get to menopause, the more your adrenal glands are doing the bulk of the work producing your sex hormones. So what this can mean is that you can become quite sensitive to any sort of stressors. It can be that any stressor, which could be emotional, it could be uh, psychological, it could be physical, you know, it could be financial worries, or it could be bereavement, or it could be you know, a physical stress like pain or over-exercising or extreme temperatures. So stress is not just the obvious stress that we all know and recognize. It can be much more physical. So those sorts of stresses, we become much more um, sensitive to or, or less resilient to them because your stress glands, not only are they having to produce your stress hormones, which help you to have enough energy so that you can respond appropriately to the stresses, but they're also having to produce your sex hormones. And because it is so much more important that your body can respond to stress and danger than it is to be able to produce these sex hormones, which ultimately are there for you to reproduce. Um, The preference is always for producing stress hormones. And that happens whatever age you are, but particularly around the time of menopause and afterwards. So when there's any sort of elevation in cortisol there, you're much more likely to struggle with stubborn belly fat. And there are two key reasons why. One, because elevated cortisol, it increases your blood sugars, which keeps you in fat storage mode, but also because your body prioritizes those hormones over the sex hormones. Your estrogen level can be greatly decreased. It decreases anyway when you're going through this transition, but it can be decreased even more than usual, which can cause really stubborn weight and a lot of these symptoms that we associate with menopause. So this is why it's so important. And if you are finding that no matter how much you exercise and no matter how little you eat, how much you cut back, you just cannot shift the weight, be it anywhere on your body or on the belly fat, then there's a very good chance that there's something more going on. And what I talk about all the time is how there's all these different factors, things going on with your gut bacteria, deficiencies, intolerances, hormone balance of course and you know your stress levels are really one of the big pieces of the puzzle so this is definitely an area to prioritize and on that note I want to talk you through some key habits that are really going to help you to start lowering your cortisol and if you do them fairly consistently then that's when you're going to see results As with anything, consistency is key. You don't have healthy teeth because you once brushed your teeth. You brush your teeth twice a day to keep them healthy. So it's the same with anything, particularly when it comes to managing cortisol levels, managing stress. We need to do things consistently, not just when there's a problem, but also when we want to be preventing problems as well. 
So these are things that you really want to be thinking about incorporating into your everyday life. And I recommend just starting with one thing and building on it gradually. And the best way to build a habit is to stack it. You want to stack it on something else. So it might be that you do the same thing every day at the same time. For example, brushing your teeth. Or it might be making a cup of tea that you do you know, regularly day in, day out, almost without fail. So a good idea is to build a habit on the back of that or on the front of that to help you do it consistently. So think about that when you're trying to add in new habits. And crucially, just add one thing at a time, because the chances are you're probably not going to manage to do it consistently if you try to do too much at once. So let's get into it. Let's talk about these habits to help you lower cortisol levels. So the first thing, and by the way, this is um, just a couple of things that you can do. There are so many things that you could do to help reduce cortisol, but I would be here all day talking about it. But hopefully some of these things might inspire you know, other things that you could do or things that might work for you individually to help you bring down the cortisol. So the first thing is to take a little bit of time each evening, and I'm talking maybe 10 minutes, to just get things ready for the day before. Many women tell me that one of the big stresses each morning can be finding something to wear when you're not feeling happy and comfortable in your body. So what you could do is choose an outfit the night before so that when you get up in the morning, you've just got to throw it on. It saves you a little bit of time. It saves you a little bit of stress. And it's one less decision you have to make first thing in the morning. You know, when your cortisol levels are increasing anyway, because that's just naturally what happens, we don't want to exacerbate that anymore first thing in the morning. So it might be choosing outfit. It might be that you throw a couple of ingredients in a bowl so that you've got breakfast almost ready to go first thing. Again, make your morning easier. Next, a couple of things that are exercise related. So many of the women that we work with are doing quite a lot of exercise before they join us. And they're often doing quite intense exercise and really punishing their bodies. And it's not always the best approach to take to lose weight when your body has this poor cortisol resilience, because we've already spoken about how your cortisol levels might be a little bit higher because of this lower resilience during this time. But when anyone exercises, the cortisol levels increase. It's just a natural thing that happens. And that helps with muscle repair. But we want to bring that cortisol level down again after exercise. And for some people, that really intense exercise can really raise the cortisol level and they can have trouble bringing it down again. So there are a couple of considerations to help really limit the impact of that elevation of cortisol when when you're doing workouts. So one thing, when you finish working out, We really want to warm down thoroughly. And this is really important. And I think so many people skip warming down. Warming down is very important for your muscles, of course. It helps to kind of clear the lactic acid buildup. But more importantly, it helps to really bring that cortisol level down again. So with a warm down, a lot of people will maybe just, you know, walk on the treadmill or cycle slowly to bring down their heart rate. Um, But we want to make sure that we're incorporating a bit more than that and going a little bit further than the average stretches and gentle cardio. So 
we could add in a little bit of deep breathing, you know, just for a few minutes, which will really help to just lower your cortisol level after exercise. And, you know, a good idea can be if you're heading home from the gym in the car, you could put on some chilled out music, you know, just to help bring you back down and relax you after that workout, particularly if you're doing an intense workout and particularly if it's not in the morning, you know, if it's in the afternoon or evening. And while we're on the subject of breathing, there is so much research on belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing for lowering cortisol. And it could just be a couple of minutes where you just do some really controlled, slow, deep breaths into your belly and just stopping and trying to still your mind for a few minutes. Now, what this does is it helps to stimulate the vagus nerve, which is a huge nerve that runs from your brain all the way down through your gut. And when we stimulate that vagus nerve, it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is calming. And as women, you know, we're always go, go, go. And, you know, we're working, we're running errands, we're cleaning, we're cooking, we're planning, we're organizing others. And, you know, so many that I work with, they never really truly stop. And so many really struggle to relax. And if that's you, then you're almost certainly spending all of your time in the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight state, your go, go, go states. And the opposite of that is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest states. And when we're in the parasympathetic mode, that's when we're repairing. That's when we're healing and your body is really going to struggle to burn fat when you're in the go, go, go mode. So we need to be taking ourselves into that rest and digest mode intentionally each day. And just taking a minute to do some deep breathing is one thing that you can do to help with that. Another thing is to not go too crazy with the fasting. So fasting can be a really effective tool for improving your weight loss, but that's if everything is in balance. And what I find with our ladies in the Nourish Method is that fasting can really exaggerate what's going on. So if you're not doing so well and you've got imbalances like your blood sugars or your cortisol or your sex hormones or your thyroid, then fasting can sometimes make those things worse, which can be why not everyone gets on very well with fasting. What we find with our ladies is that if we bring in fasting a little bit later, when they've been working on these other areas, you know, to get their bodies properly supported and nourished, then when we bring that fasting in later, it actually works so much better and they get on with it much better as well. It kind of fits into their lifestyle better. Too much fasting can cause elevations in cortisol because undereating or starvation can raise cortisol. It's like a survival response. And it can also suppress your thyroid function as well. And so if there's any thyroid issues, we really want to be cautious and perhaps stick to much shorter fasts. So there we have it, some simple but effective ways to lower your cortisol and support your fat burning. Okay, now it's time for my favorite fact from the past week. And today the fact is this, drinking decaf coffee prevents caffeine withdrawal symptoms. Weird, right? This was a really cool study on people who drank at least three to four coffees daily, which they defined as heavy consumption, interestingly. What I love about the study is that one of the groups they studied knew they were drinking decaf coffee, whereas one of the other groups thought they were drinking normal coffee. 
And the group that was drinking decaf but thought they were drinking normal coffee, they had fewer withdrawal symptoms than those that knew they were drinking decaf coffee. So a clear placebo effect. The group that knew they were drinking decaf did also have fewer withdrawal symptoms than the ones that were just drinking water. So I think the clear takeaway here is that if you're trying to reduce or give up caffeine, switching to decaf to aid the process is going to make it easier. And if someone you know needs to cut down on caffeine but can't face the withdrawal, just make them decaf without them knowing and they'll probably be fine. One of the reasons why decaf might help is because decaf isn't completely caffeine free. It just has less caffeine in the normal coffee. And it also has other stimulants in that aren't removed in the decaffeination process, which will go some way towards preventing a complete withdrawal. Okay, now it's time to go through a listener's letter. And this one is about chocolate. She said, hi, Louise. I've read in the news that certain brands of chocolate have been found to have high levels of lead and cadmium. I found this really concerning, but I really don't trust what I read in the papers anymore. So wondered what your thoughts are on this, please. Thank you. This is a great question. And it's funny, actually, I'm part of a community of nutrition practitioners who are, you know, all properly qualified and regulated. And one of the members shared this story in a bit of a panic because, you know, not the chocolate. And I felt a bit panicked too when I read this because it's like my one thing. It's my one thing that I just could not live without. I eat a little bit too much chocolate, albeit dark chocolate. And it's depressing when we read stuff like this because sometimes it seems like all the good stuff, all the stuff that we thought was healthy isn't. So if you didn't see this news, I think it was 28 brands of chocolate were tested And all of them contained elevated levels of lead and cadmium. And it was a lot of the sort of high-end bars too. So my favorite, Green and Blacks, was one of the worst. I had a look at the list to try and find brands that we have here in the UK that are good. And I could only find one, which was Ritter Sport 81%, which you often see in Lidl. So that was depressing. The milk chocolate bars are better. Basically, the lower the cocoa solids, the the lower the amount of these heavy metals that are going to be in there. But we often recommend having over 70% cocoa solids if you're trying to minimize your sugar and get the benefits of the cocoa solids. Um, So the Ritter for 81% was the only one I could see on the list that was okay. But my nutrition community had a long discussion about this research. And the overall consensus between us nutritional therapists was that the amount of lead and cadmium in the chocolate is small and you'd have to be eating loads of it to be a real issue, we think. Plus, you have to put it in perspective and look at the whole picture. For me, I eat fresh, clean and a balanced diet and I avoid other sources of toxins and pollutants as much as I can. So my system can hopefully tolerate the exposure. So I hope that helps. As with most things in nutrition, it's about everything in moderation and I wouldn't worry too much about it. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to talk to me about anything that I've discussed in this episode, you can reach me on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Louise Digby Nutrition, or you can email me with your question to be answered on the podcast by emailing louise at louisedigbynutrition.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please head to wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Apple Podcasts or wherever it may be, and leave a five-star review and make sure you hit follow. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.